Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Last week, we uh, began looking uh, at this issue of fear. What do we do with fear? And we're looking at this question uh, in two parts. Last week, we, we just looked at what fear is and how to identify fear. Uh, today, I want to talk specifically about what do we do with fear when we experience it. Last week, I began with an apology, and the apology was in regards to uh, anybody who has ever been taught or told that faith is the opposite of fear, or fear is the opposite of faith. And we unpack the truth that fear is a very, very real part of our human condition. In fact, fear is essential for our survival, but fear can also cripple us. And ultimately, as we looked at last time from Scripture, we unpack the fact that it's not faith that counters fear, it is assurance. I also discovered last week that not being a native-born Tasmanian, um, that my key analogy caused an element of confusion because it took a while for people to cotton on to what a slippery dip was. Um, sorry, Jeff Habley still didn't get it by the end. He still thought it was a water slide. Uh, but uh, it's, an, it's a mainland thing or perhaps a generational thing, but it's a slide. You guys call it a slide. So if I caused any confusion, I'm sorry. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to review last week's message. But we discovered last time that God, in the face of fear, grants us his assurance. Isaiah 41 and 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the fear is acknowledged, but immediately the assurance is given. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Jeremiah 42 and 11, Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you, to save you and to deliver you from his hand. Again, the fear is acknowledged and the assurance is given. For I am with you, to save you and to deliver you. So in the face of fear, friends, we have the assurance of God. But how does that then play out on a day-to-day -day basis? How does that impact the reality for us uh, that is very well, we have to face fear. Here's a really challenging question today. Does your relationship with God actually make a difference in your life on a daily basis? Does your relationship with God actually make a difference in your life on a daily basis? Is your relationship with God deep enough and close enough that you actually lean into and rely upon his supernatural resources in a way that his promises and his assurances for you are a part of your daily living. You see, you and I have a choice. We can live in the realm of the everyday, what most people would call normal, where everything we attempt is perfectly reasonable, perfectly normal, uh, can be explained in terms of human ability, where the only strength we have to rely upon is our own. We can live on that level. 
or we can live on a level where we trust and experience a supernatural God working on our behalf to bring hope where there is no hope, to bring peace where there should be no peace, to bring assurance in the face of fear, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Friends, to experience God doing things in our lives that only God can do and God can accomplish. You see, what sets the genuine Christian apart is not that they're in church every week, but that there are actually things about their life that clearly demonstrate the fact that God is alive and that God is at work within them. Because friends, if there is absolutely nothing about our lives that needs a divine explanation then there's nothing that makes us any different from our neighbour next door who might not care the slightest about God. And as far as they're concerned, we simply have different interests to them, different hobbies to them. Their hobby might be golf or fishing, and they just think, well, your hobby is that you go to church on a Sunday. But that's the only difference. Friends, the very essence of our faith is reaching beyond ourselves and plugging into the supernatural resources of a living God. Can I hear an amen? But if our plans and our dreams, our goals and our ambitions, uh, our reactions, our responses, our words, our actions, our expressed fears and uncertainties are no different to anyone else's, then what is the evidence of our relationship with God? Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4 and 22. Regarding your previous way of life, you put off your old self, completely discard your former nature, which has been corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually removed in the spirit of your mind having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude and put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image, God-like, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Friends, if you and I are to live in a daily revelation of the assurances and of the promises of God to live in a way that we are not shaken by the things that shake the world, then maybe we've got some work to do. But when it comes to this issue of fear, where do we start? Well, I want to share a really familiar story. Uh, and it's a part of the Christmas narrative, but we're not far off the Christmas uh, season. And we find it in Luke 28. And I'm going to read this from the message. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and this is Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who was pregnant with um, John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning, you're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out, God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. 
and call his name Jesus. I think that's one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. God has a surprise for you. In verse 30, the Passion Translation says, But the angel reassured her by saying, Do not yield to your fear. Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. Do not yield to your fear, Mary. Now, that actually totally reinforces what we looked at last week. Mary's fear wasn't a sin. It was a natural response to the revelation of what God was saying to her. Actually, when you unpack that, the source of Mary's fear is God's will. Do not yield to your fear, Mary. And maybe Luke records Mary's fear because the message the angel brought to her from every human perspective was totally impossible. You're going to give birth to a son. But I'm not married. I'm a virgin. How can I give birth to a son? And her natural response to what the angel was saying was a fear response. And you can see this right through the pages of God's word. It's not uncommon for people to be afraid when God begins to speak to them. And when God speaks to people, it's not necessarily the fact that they're having this angelic visitation or a theophany with God where God shows up. It's the nature of what he is calling them or instructing them to do. Luke chapter 1, this story is actually the story of two pregnancies. So it's Mary, mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist. Mary's problem is that she was too young, an unmarried virgin. Elizabeth's problem was that she was too old, she was barren. But Elizabeth's husband also had an angel appear to him. In verse 12, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. Down to verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. So again, in the natural, the young Mary is nowhere near ready, and Elizabeth at the opposite end, is past her use-by date. And the message that the angel brings to each of them is totally unbelievable and seemingly impossible. But even though fear was clearly a part of their experience with God, it was a natural part of their response to God's agenda for their lives, they actually overcame that fear. And friends, you and I can employ the same strategies to overcome our fears, whatever those fears might be. And buried in this story of Mary, we find one of the simplest and most effective ways of countering fear. And this is one of the most practical tools that I can leave with you today. Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, and when she got there, Elizabeth says to her, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has, been, uh, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary responds with what in my Bible is called Mary's song. And it is a beautiful piece of verse. And it begins with these words. And friends, here's the key. Then Mary said, 
My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. The King James Version there says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I love that word magnify. What happens when you magnify something? When you magnify something, you make it bigger and it becomes far clearer. And here is a really helpful picture. In the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, we have a choice to either magnify the problem or magnify God in the face of the problem. People say um, time flies, but I actually want to lead us in an exercise this morning uh, that will show clearly to us how time can actually go really, really slow. And what we're going to do for just two minutes is we're all going to close our eyes and you don't have to do anything. Just sit there with your eyes closed. I don't want you even to pray just to close your eyes. So let's join in that exercise together. Eyes closed. You ready? Two minutes. Go. All right, how did you go? You're all very, very quiet. You did well. Hey, here's the point of that exercise this morning. When you're alone, when it's just you and your thoughts, what is it that your mind drifts to? What is it that your mind latches on to? And I would suggest for some of us that whatever it was that our minds drifted to in that two minutes, that may well be the thing that is ruling your life right now. It may well be the thing that's being magnified in your life right now. And for some of us, maybe that's going to be a wake-up call. For some of us, maybe we are magnifying our worries. 
I think it's true to say worry is negative meditation. Maybe we're magnifying our fears. Maybe for some of us, we are magnifying areas of sin in our lives that we're wrestling with. But back to Mary, because some people might say of Mary, well, it's fine for her to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. I mean, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's had this angelic visitation telling her that she would be the one through whom the Messiah would be born into the world. But we got to know in the natural, from the moment she had that divine encounter, her life would have gotten harder, not easier. I mean, first she would have had to tell her fiancé, Joseph, and we know he didn't believe her at first. But then she would have also had to endure the stigma, the condescending looks, the juicy innuendos of the town gossips in this Jewish community, frowning upon her, marginalising this pregnant, unmarried teenager, and she would have carried that stigma her whole life. She could well have said, God, my troubles are your fault. But instead, she chooses to sing, my soul magnifies the Lord. God, in the face of fear, in the, in the face of hardship, I choose to make you bigger so that my problem will become smaller. And here's the final part of this lesson to date. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians 4, we read this encouragement from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this passage starts with this great encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Perhaps in the words of Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. And actually through these living with a question mark interviews, you're going to start seeing a theme. That in the face of the most challenging of question marks, God grants an incredible peace that transcends all understanding. But then there's actually a second part of Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi, to this church situated in a Greco-Roman culture where there were so many different uh, social and societal pressures and challenges, where the church was incredibly small, this small movement pushing against the cultural tide. And in fact, Paul and Silas on an earlier visit to Philippi were actually arrested. And the charge that was brought against them, we read in Acts 16 and 20, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. That's the culture of the Philippian church. And the pressures of the early church and many of the cultural pressures the church faces today, friends, are not dissimilar. And to the people of this small church in Philippi, feeling a cultural temptation to conform, 
to a people perhaps struggling to maintain Christian integrity in an anti-Christian setting, he, just, he doesn't just give them instructions to rejoice. Well, guys, rejoice anyway. He doesn't just say, well, magnify the Lord. He actually gives a practical tip on how to do that. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And friends, for us in a culture and a time in history of heightened fear and uncertainty, are we employing practices in our lives that are magnifying the fear, or are we employing healthy practices that magnify God and that in turn give us a peace that passes all understanding in the face of fear? Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And let me be really, really frank today. If you are spending more time on social media than you are on the practices that draw you closer to God, then all you're doing is magnifying fear and anxiety and uncertainty and division. If you start your day scrolling through your phone rather than picking up the Word of God or just a devotional, get a devotional app on your phone and make, it, make that your go-to in the morning. Because if we're not doing that and just mindlessly scrolling, guess what it is that is setting the tone for the day? So let's take Paul's instruction and, to, and apply it to the things that are shaping our mindsets, that are shaping our heart, that are shaping our emotional disposition. So firstly, the big one, the digital distractions that we're all addicted to. Are they, according to Paul, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy? If the answer is no, friends, we've got to change our habits and start magnifying right things, good things, pure things, lovely things, excellent things, admirable things instead of the wrong things. What about the music playlists that we create that play the soundtrack to our lives? Are they true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy? If the answer is no, we've got to change our habits. Start magnifying the right things, not the wrong things. What about the stuff that we binge watch on a rainy day or in lockdown? Are they true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy? If the answer is no, friends, we've got to change our habits. What about the conversations we have around the dinner table? Are they true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy? If the answer is no, we've got to change what it is we're speaking over our families. And here's a little aside, but a reminder to all of our parents. Every current study under the sun is clearly demonstrating that anxiety and mental illness in young people is totally skyrocketing. I read one report um, just a little while ago and it made the comment that the American I generation, which is kind of a reference to people born post-1995, the iPhone generation, Historically, they are physically the safest generation on the planet. But at the same time, 
the most mentally fragile generation on the planet. Can I, can I implore our parents to please be guarded about the conversations that we're having in front of our kids? I am concerned there are way too many adult discussions going on in front of young children that are causing heightened anxiety. There is also a documented worrying trend that when surveyed, a huge proportion of parents said that the most important aim of their parenting is to be liked by their children. And to that survey, I want to scream, it's not about you. The trend is that when my child hits the pre-teen or the challenging teenage years, I just want to be their friend. Parents, your child does not need another friend. They need a loving parent that will say no, even when saying no is tough, and create some healthy boundaries and model Christ to them and to help them navigate a world where the best thing that you can give to your child is helping them understand how do I magnify God in the midst of all that I have to navigate in life. Philippians 4 and 8, as the team comes back. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Back to verse 5, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And right there, friends, is the antidote to fear. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the richness of your word. And I thank you, God, that your word does have solutions, practical solutions. But Father, they're not simple solutions. They're solutions that actually involve us doing something, being committed to something, changing habits, God, so that, so that we are magnifying the things of God, that we are doing the things in life that allow the promises and the assurance of God to be a reality for us. Lord God, we've all got some work to do, and I put my hand up for that as well. We've all got some work to do. Because there are so many competing distractions in the world today. There are so many cultural pressures, particularly on our young people. And Father, I pray that we would have the courage to stand apart from the crowd. In an age where faith is increasingly countercultural, that we would stand as people of faith, standing upon the truth of your word, which is an, an immovable foundation in a society that's constantly reinventing itself. Society that doesn't know where the boundaries, where the rules are, Lord. No foundation. It's a shaky foundation. But God, in the face of uncertainty, in a heightened climate of fear, I pray that we would be people in the face of fear who do the things that magnify God. And we don't fill our lives with junk and negativity, but we fill our lives with the goodness of God, the things that bring us a daily awareness of your presence, your peace, your promise, your assurance. Help us all to find that antidote for fear, I pray. In Jesus' name, do a work in us for your glory and for our benefit. Amen.